Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. Moab Slick Rock Trail is one of the best known and most iconic mountain biking trails in the world. And yet, a preliminary proposal from the Bureau of Land Management was put forward to auction the right to drill for oil and natural gas under the trail. And I hope that last sentence just got your attention. Now, the good news here is that just as I was speaking last Friday to our guest today, Ashley Kornblatt, a preliminary hold was put in place by the Bureau of Land Management to stop the sale for the right to drill for oil and gas under Slick Rock Trail, and the two parcels that the Slick Rock Trail sit on will not be included in the upcoming oil and gas lease sale that will take place this June. So this is definitely a bit of good news, But rather than simply celebrate this good news, this very much needs to get our attention. First, because if this could happen to a trail as famous as Slick Rock, we all ought to realize that this same thing could happen to many of our favorite trails around the US. And so the important thing for all of us in the bike community is to understand how the current energy system works in the US how fragile and susceptible our trail systems truly are, why we all need to get educated about the energy policies of our local areas, and why we need to be contacting our local representatives, and more. Now, fortunately, our guest today, Ashley Kornblatt, is one of the best people out there to help us understand the current system and what each of us needs to be doing to protect the places where we love to ride and recreate. Ashley is the owner of Western Spirit Cycling and Outer Bike, and she is the founder and managing director of Public Land Solutions. And I would strongly encourage you to check out the important work they're doing at publiclandsolutions.org. Ashley has also served as the chair of the International Mountain Bicycling Association, and she created IMBA's Public Lands Initiative. She has also testified before Congress on the recreation economy, and if all of that wasn't enough, she was inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 2003. Ashley was also a guest of ours at our Blister Speaker Series at Western Colorado University last year, and you can listen to my Speaker Series conversation with Ashley over on our Blister Podcast channel, episode number 86, to learn more about her own extremely interesting background and to get more of a general background on the specific topic that she and I will be discussing today. Finally, I want to put this idea out to you now so that you can have this in mind as you listen to my conversation with Ashley. I'd like to propose a new definition of what it should mean for any of us to call ourselves mountain bikers. And I'd like to suggest that it should not be enough to ride bikes and to love bikes but that to really be a mountain biker, it should mean that we also need to care about public lands and be prepared to fight for them 
and to go get informed about the energy policies in our local areas. All of that. It's just no longer enough to ride trails. We need to all actively protect them too. And as for the bike manufacturers out there, I would like to humbly suggest that it is time for you all to get very proactive on these issues. It's just not okay to sit on the sidelines any longer. And I truly think that the day is coming sooner than later where mountain bikers will want to know not just about the geometry and kinematics and build kits of your new bikes, but what you as a company are doing to help protect trails. Everybody knows that there are a lot of good bikes out there these days, and we all have more really good choices than ever before. So again, I really believe that in the very near future, it isn't going to be good enough to build good bikes. We are increasingly going to want to know what you are doing as a company to help the cause. And so to sum up, we all have our work cut out for us here. And on that note, let's now discuss some of the brass tacks surrounding these issues with Ashley Kornblatt. So Ashley, what exactly is going on here? So as we all know, but rarely think about, our public lands are for multiple use. So we all kind of assume that our running trail or our bike trail or the place we ski or the place we go is, is always going to be there. But the reality is there are lots of pressures on these lands of all types. And the place we're talking about now is Bureau of Land Management lands. And the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM, manages l lots and lots of acreage that includes trails of all types around nearly every outdoor community in the West. So it's kind of impossible that you could be a mountain biker and not have a favorite BLM trail. So the BLM is, is running the show and their mandate is multiple use. And that includes grazing and mining and oil and gas. And they do planning. They have lots of big picture plans for all of the acreage that they own, but because it's such broad areas, those plans are by definition broad-based. And there are lots of sort of conflicting things that happen within those plans. For example, the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920 dictates how oil and gas is going to be developed on public land. And the way it works is that industry is the oil and gas industry is allowed to nominate a parcel. And that means they get to say, we think we want to drill over here and over here and over here. And then those parcels go to a public auction where the, the rest of the oil and gas industry can bid on them. And unless a place is specifically protected from oil and gas, technically, because it's either wilderness or a national monument or... Um, has some other super special designation, like an area of critical environmental concern, and even that isn't that great. Um, these places are still open for oil and gas if industry nominates them, because in 1920, we were trying to encourage oil and gas development and spread out the risk. So that's how this system was created that is now causing quite a few headaches today. So the drama right now is that the two parcels right on top of the Slick Rock Trail 
in the Sand Flats Recreation Area outside of Moab. The Slick Rock Trail is a bike trail and a moto trail. It's been around for 50 years. We just had the 50th anniversary. And suddenly there is a proposal to drill for oil and gas, uh, two, two parcels on the Slick Rock Trail in the Sand Flats Recreation Area. So is there precedence for this sort of thing? I mean, you just explained, I think, really well kind of how we got here and the history, but talk about actual precedence for like, I don't know, coming in and drilling where there's a phenomenally important, famous trail like this. Well, this system is kind of geared for train wrecks because there is no communication between the recreation team and the oil and gas team, really. And so... In the past, the way it would work is when industry, the oil and gas industry nominated a parcel that was next to a national park or right next to a boat launch or um, you know, on a famous bike trail, the local rangers had the discretion to defer those parcels, to say, you know, we don't think we need to lease those right now and we're not going to include them in the auction. And we're going to focus on other places where there is more chance of oil and gas actually paying off and that are more appropriate places to drill. And and this is the issue right now. This gray area, this place where government functions, where there's not exactly a law or a regulation dictating everyone's behavior, but there are protocols and, for lack of a better phrase, gentlemen's agreements and even ethics and courtesy has been the norm for sorting out these types of uh, kerfuffles in the past. But in this administration, they um, run roughshod over all of those types of communications or protocols. And their mission right now is energy dominance. There is a secretarial order that requires the BLM to lease every nook and cranny that industry might propose without analysis, without the um, comments from the local rangers. Uh, It's railroading leasing on every nook and cranny of our federal lands. So as far as like precedent goes, we have had a successful precedent in the early years of the Trump administration. A parcel was nominated right next to Zion National Park, and we were able to ask Governor Herbert to um, to defer those, and he did. And so it's sort of a stay of execution, like a deferred parcel is still sort of lurking around the BLM oil and gas office, and in theory, it could come back up in another auction. But in general, if they've had overwhelming public response to something, they don't reissue them. But it's certainly not permanent protection. It's just um, temporary when the parcels get deferred. So in an effort and an attempt in our modern political climate to rather than just always accuse whatever side we're not on of being absolute, you know, pure evil and incredibly stupid, what is the strongest case that you think can be made for the Trump administration's position here? In their from their perspective, well, first of all, they they suffer a little bit from the preconception that the public lands are infinite. And that is one thing 
we need to start working on because they are not infinite. But the idea is that by leasing um, parcels in this favorable political environment, favorable to oil and gas, that you will um, have a big inventory of existing leases. And even if those many of those leases are on low potential lands, because by definition, we're getting to the point that we've leased all the really productive places for oil and gas, and we've leased the places next to those places. And now we're leasing places that have really low potential, like the Slick Rock. And their argument would be, well, the whole world changed when we invented fracking. We were able to get to oil and gas in places we weren't able to reach before. And who knows what technological inventions will be coming uh, down the road that will allow us to profitably drill on parcels that may look like they have low potential now. So that's definitely their argument. But right now, uh, only 50% of the oil and gas parcels leased on America's public lands have been developed. So that means we have the other 50% has already been leased. It hasn't been drilled, but it's available. So the idea that we need these other lands for actual energy production makes no sense. You know, not to mention the idea that when you look at a place like the Slick Rock Trail, we're really in the realm of, are we going to, you know, burn the Picasso to heat the house for an hour? Is that, is that how desperate we are? Yeah. What would you propose happens here? And like, what do you think our best case in your, in your view, what is the best case, best outcome of this current situation we're in? So there's the short term and the long term. In the short term, we would like these parcels to be deferred and we have asked Governor Herbert to defer them. And we have, um, uh, th so that would take care of the short term problem. The, 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 it would be a stay of execution. These parcels would be taken out of the June auction. So that's success. Um, over the long term, we are asking the Department of Interior to recognize um, the importance of the recreation economy, to elevate the in their programs and policies and executive orders and other activities, the value of the recreation economy. The problem is mineral lease money that comes from oil and gas tracks through the Department of Interior. They see every penny. And um, I think Secretary Zinke was really trying to make the Department of Interior a profit center. Now, that's not really possible, and nor was it designed to be that. Um, and so what we would like to talk to Secretary Bernhardt, the current Secretary of the Interior, about is the fact that he should take credit and support the incredible recreation economies of the thriving communities that, it, that are lucky enough to be near Department of Interior land. So because the revenues and tax receipts from the recreation economy don't flow directly through the department, doesn't mean that he is not responsible for them. His actions have an effect on what happens in these communities. And so not only should he um, acknowledge them, but he should work with us and support them because if this administration cares about economic growth, they're ignoring a whole sector 
that they have direct responsibility over. It's a question of, are we looking for economic gains by looking at the past, right? And our energy sources of the 20th century, or are we looking for new economic opportunities forward in like 21st century opportunities? And it seems like, would you say that that is one way at least to kind of get at the heart of the issue here? That is a super important way to look at it because one of our challenges is people just don't like change. And if oil and gas worked for them and their family or coal was good enough for their grandfather, then it's hard for them to walk away from that type of resource extraction without somehow dishonoring their heritage. And that's what we have to work on. I mean, I, um, I've been, uh, I got in a fight with a rancher one time and she was um, talking about the tourism economy and saying, I don't want to be in the service industry. I don't owe the bank a dime and I sell a real product. And uh, my response was, okay, I'm in the service industry, but I can tell you this, that the people who go on our bike trips will remember that those trips for the rest of their lives, and I don't care how good that beef is you're producing over there, they're not going to remember eating it. So this idea that the only honest way to make a living is pull something off the land and everything else is kind of snake oil is still really prevalent in the West. So one of our challenges here is gently but effectively helping folks come into the 21st century because the reality is if they want their children and grandchildren to be able to stay in the rural West, they need to make this transition and start to think about 21st century jobs of which there are many. And what we, you know, part of the whole revenue flow that we see coming from recreation assets is not just visitors, but quality of life businesses, retirees and others who can live wherever they choose. It's the footloose economy now. And a lot of communities are working to attract those type of businesses. So that's a whole other layer of revenues that Secretary Bernhardt um, has the opportunity to acknowledge. So what can residents of Moab and or residents of Utah be doing right now? And what would you say they should be doing? So... There is a BLM comment period, um, which is going to open. It was meant to open yesterday. It's been delayed. Um, but commenting is important. But even more important, I would say, is reaching out to your elected officials. If you don't know your congressman or you don't know your um, city or county elected officials, you need to know them. You need to get active because the government is run by the people that show up. And so by um, reaching out and going to a county meeting, both the city and the county here in Moab have passed letters of or have passed resolutions asking that these parcels be deferred. So um, that that was very important. But one of the reasons they did that was because their constituents asked them to. So you really do like need to know who your elected officials are and be, be in touch with them. Go to a county meeting, go to a city meeting and reach out to your congressman. So um, 
it, there's a, we need to step up our level of activity. And I know that's not really easy for everybody to do, but it isn't that hard either. So, um, so and, and what I'm seeing actually on the corporate side is that, you know, for a long time, the outdoor industry um, with certain real um, outstanding examples like Patagonia have been very involved in these issues. More and more companies are involved. Osprey is really involved. There's a whole list of them that are really um, doing good work and have been very responsive in these areas. Outdoor research, there's quite a few. But the bike industry really hasn't gotten as involved as, as we could have. There are some you know, great examples of moments where we were really active, but there's a huge opportunity for um, the corporations to um, add this to their work. And there, it can be something that you don't have to become an oil and gas expert. I'm not asking all the bike industry executives to suddenly learn everything about how oil and gas is developed, but being willing to use your voice and say, I'm concerned about this and um, working with, there are dozens of nonprofits who work on all these issues, having a partnership with a nonprofit that you trust, that you can work with, I think this is going to be really important for every company because going forward, you know, both your employees and your customers want to know what your company stands for and getting involved in these type of issues is a way to show them. So I asked you kind of specifically what residents of Moab or residents of Utah can be doing. So I guess the question to expand it more broadly to what can the rest of us be doing? On the one hand, I heard in your last answer, like, go talk to the representatives where you live and in your state um, to make sure that this is on their radar in other areas. But I, I guess if we were think if we're thinking about Slick Rock Trail in particular, in terms of what can be done or what sort of can't be done right now to try to preserve one of the most iconic trails in the world, I would say, is this up to the folks in Utah or can the rest of us actually make an impact here? Well, sure. In in general. Um, these are lands that are owned by all Americans, and that is why there is the law requires that public comment be sought and listened to, in theory, um, for these types of, for all decisions that affect public land. So um, the, co the public comment function of the National Environmental Policy Act is really important in learning how to make comments and paying attention to these things and, and um commenting, uh, going to the BLM website and making a comment about the Slick Rock leases is, is, is something that all Americans could do. Um, and if we all did it, it would blow up their system. That would be, they would notice, I think. Um, <laughs> but I get, I just go back to, it takes more than that. We, we need to really um, pay attention to who we are electing and what their plans are and what their, um, how they see the world and this uh, because elected officials do have quite a lot of power over our public lands. And so we need to vote. We need to know who is going to um, uh, we need to know more about the candidates and, and pay more attention because it is it, this is a great example of a time when it really does make a difference about something that the cycling and outdoor industry really cares about. 
So I have late breaking news. So Governor Herbert two days ago asked the Department of Interior to defer the parcels. And about, let's see, one hour ago, they have just let us know that they are going to defer them. Wow. Yeah. So we um, have won the battle, but not the war. And we definitely, um, and I think that if they'd let it go a few more days, there was a lot of work being done on different petitions from a whole variety of group from National Parks Conservation Association to um, Specialized and uh, um, Bicycling Magazine and other other groups um, were really starting to look for ways to get involved. And on the one hand, I'm happy to be winning, but I'm sad that we didn't get that little bit of extra time to get more of the public involved. We did send a letter um, from 80 companies from uh, that spread over 20 states, all asking that the parcels be deferred. And that just went in yesterday. So uh, we got to think that that might have helped get us this uh, reprieve. So, okay, again, just to make sure we're crystal clear on what's happening. What exactly does it mean to say that the parcels have been deferred? been deferred for how long, et cetera. Right. So it means they will not be included in the um, June auction. And uh, there are other parcels, not quite as high profile, but that we are concerned about in that June auction. Um, But, uh, you know, when a parcel gets deferred, it basically goes into a deep, dark drawer at the BLM office. <laughs> but we know that um, there have been times when pro-oil and gas presidents have said, what? There are parcels that have been deferred that oil and gas industry companies have nominated? Dig those out of the dark drawer and put them into the sunlight and put them in the next available auction. Like President Bush did this when he was um, walking out the door at the end of his uh, second term, right before Obama came into office. And then the Obama administration looked at this problem and they said, you know, we should do a better job in the planning. So instead of leaving so much acreage open to um, oil and gas nominations for leases, we should be doing more acre by acre planning and figuring out where these sensitive areas are and not offering them in the first place. So every BLM resource area has what's called a resource management plan. And they're supposed to be updated every 10, 15 years, but sometimes they go, oh, 20 or 30 years. The one in Moab was completed in 2008. And we don't have plans right now to update that plan, but you can do amendments or what the Obama administration did is they did a master leasing plan for part of the Moab area. Now, it didn't occur to us to put the Slick Rock Trail in the master leasing plan because it doesn't, there there isn't much oil and gas there. And because it's part of this county BLM partnership, it just didn't occur to anyone that the rangers would be silenced and that that could be in danger. But 
Um, the master leasing plan concept is a really great idea, and we do have a master leasing plan for most of the area north of Moab around Canyonlands and Dead Horse State Park. And that plan has really detailed um, information. We worked hard on that to figure out where it would be okay to drill and where it wouldn't. And that plan is still in place. The Trump administration has not turned it over, but they have taken the master leasing plan tool out of the toolbox and they aren't allowing other places to use master lease planning as a way to pro, um, you know, to avoid this type of problem in the future. And that's just silly. Like, there's no reason not to do better planning. You were saying that the parcels have been deferred for this June auction. How frequent are these auctions? The Trump administration is running quarterly statewide auctions across the West right now. And what we're seeing is some of these auctions are so poorly um, attended that the parcels that do get nominated are going for rock bottom prices. And the, the time frame, as illustrated by these slick rock leases, they aren't doing their homework. They don't have time to do their homework. They are pushing leases out the door so quickly without even really taking the time to understand them. So again, it's this example of they, I mean, they aren't really breaking the law. Um, or I guess there are some people who might say they are, but they're not breaking the law so badly that we're going to be able to convict them on it. But rather, they are going right up to the edge on the gray area and pushing their agenda of energy dominance to the extreme. And it leads to uh, this type of really bad analysis and poor decision making. Yeah. So I think I'm very clear on why the importance for more master planning. But I, again, I guess I'm just was curious, like, yay, we got a deferment on a June auction. But if that means there could be another auction the next quarter, it, we don't exactly get to maybe celebrate too long. Fortunately, they don't love bad press. <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, the other piece of it is we don't know who the company is that nominated these parcels. That's usually anonymous prior to the comment period. But um, and now that they pulled the parcels, it, it might be a little tricky to figure out who nominated them. But I imagine that will come out. So that's the other part is a private company stepped into this mess and they have to date suffered not at all from their misstep. But I think that that is another part of it. I know that there are the major oil and gas companies do care about their corporate citizenship. The much smaller players generally don't. So it'll be really interesting to see who the nominator was. Anything else we need to touch on here before we let you get going, Ashley? Well, I think that Energy policy is something that feels really complicated and wonky and maybe something that the general outdoor enthusiast hasn't thought about getting involved in, but we are all energy users. So we really do have both a right and a responsibility to get involved in energy policy. And it is going to be one of the bigger levers that we can use um, in the work on climate. And so 
getting conversant in these issues and and um, urging your elected officials to care about energy policy. And hopefully, um, as we get more and more companies involved in outdoor companies involved in energy policy, we might be able to facilitate more opportunities for everyone's voice to be heard. And if we can do that, you know, we know it will make a difference. Um, but folks have to be willing to to learn a little bit, learn a few terms, pay attention a little bit on these issues. And um, because there is a real opportunity to reform the way we explore and develop oil and gas in terms of these lands, in addition to how we capture the methane um, that is a byproduct of oil and gas development. And there's several other issues coming up that in the next um, Congress, they're hoping to update the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920. if we don't participate, then the only people paying attention are the oil and gas companies. And so guess what? There's a little sign of progress. So we really do. I hope that this moment will um, broaden everyone's mind a little bit and prepare us to um, get ready to get involved in other energy related issues. And Ashley, in this conversation, you've said a number of times, like we have gone you know, to talk to this group or that group. Talk to me a little bit about who the we is here, because what you've just been saying, this isn't just some like ethereal idea. I mean, you are you are actively involved and working on this. And I think this is probably the part where maybe I ask you to talk a little bit about public land solutions, your involvement there and what what the work is that you guys are very specifically and concretely doing. Sure. So, um, we started Public Land Solutions a few years ago, and it's a nonprofit, and we have funding from a variety of foundations. And the work that we're doing is two parts. We work from the bottom up and from the top down. So from the bottom up, we work directly with communities that are working to pivot from dependence on oil and gas and coal to recreation. And that means helping them design and develop their recreation economy in a way that really will bring revenue to their communities. And then from the top down, we work on policies coming out of D.C. and out of uh, the various states that affect the community's ability to make this pivot. So everything from Land and Water Conservation Fund that provides money for buying land and building trails to energy policy that determines whether you're going to have room for trails or whether um, you're going to allow oil and gas or timber or whatever the resource extraction might be to to use all the space. So these policies are um, changing all the time. And what one of the ways that you're able to get a policy to change, the business voice is definitely important, but so are individuals. But either way, it's about facilitating opportunities for people to get involved and show their congressman or their mayor or their governor what they care about and why they think these, you know, the recreation economy and recreation assets are important. So we used to talk all about love, right? I love skiing. I love mountain biking. I love this place. I love that place. What Public Land Solutions does is we talk more about money. We talk about the economy and how quality of life and access to the outdoors is really an economic driver in the 21st century. And that message is resonating. And we've been able to um, 
really uh, help some communities pivot and work towards some policies that will make it easier for everyone to pivot. Well, listen, Ashley, as always, you're like you're like my go to source on so many of these issues where this stuff comes up and I'm just like, there's one person in the world I need to talk to right now. And uh, <laughs> and that <laughs> this was another one of those times. So I am really grateful for the time. I'm really grateful for you filling us all in on what exactly is going on here and what exactly we all can and need to each be doing. So um, once again, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It's always fun to talk with you and I appreciate all the work that you guys do and all the good information in every category that you put out there day after day. So great work. Well, thanks. Uh, I'll let you get back to all this stuff and uh, we'll talk to you real soon, Ashley. Okay, take care. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Ashley for the conversation. And you can head over to publiclandsolutions.org to learn more about their projects and make a donation to the cause. Because as Ashley said, we've maybe won the battle here, but we have definitely not yet won the war. So we all need to continue to educate ourselves on these issues and be in contact with our local representatives. I'd also like to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, please take good care out there. We will talk to you again next week.